0: Hi Kevin! Quick message from the Monstrous Feminine Podcast. The episodes this month covering creature features were recorded prior to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We'd like to express our support for the residents of Ukraine, and we desperately hope this can be resolved peacefully without further damage and loss of life. Although we do not by any means wish to act as if this is the first instance of warfare in recent years. Given that the episodes this month discuss warfare generally, and nuclear warfare and Cold War ideologies specifically, we feel it is necessary to advise listener discretion as we understand that this topic might be upsetting to listeners in the current climate. Please take care, and always check the content warnings in the episode descriptions. Thank you.
1: Broadcasting live from Odo Island, this is The Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Taya, and I'm joined by my sea monsters.
2: Mila. Louisa. And
1: and this month's theme is Creature Features. This has been a long awaited topic and we are so excited to delve into our three films for the month. We also want to thank everyone who voted to help us choose the films for this theme. Before we get into the film, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcast app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram at The Munch for Podcast.
2: This month, we're talking about Godzilla, directed by Ishiro Honda, The Blob, directed by Chuck Russell, and our Coven's Choice film, Pan's Labyrinth, directed by Guillermo del Toro. If you would like to hear our second Coven's Choice film, The Fly, directed by David Cronenberg, then head over to our Patreon and
3: subscribe to hear our bonus and extended episodes. This episode, we're talking about the cultural classic 1954 film, Godzilla, directed by Ishiro Honda. In Godzilla, After a Japanese freight ship is destroyed, another ship is sent to investigate its disappearance. Both boats are destroyed, and fish populations decline, and residents are left wondering what could be the source. Reporters come to the town, and one person reveals that something in the sea is destroying the ships and eating the fish. Before the reporters can return to Tokyo, their plane is destroyed, along with multiple homes, as the monster called Godzilla is briefly seen for the first time
2: king of the monsters alive
0: surging up from the depths of the sea on a tidal wave of terror to wreak vengeance on mankind godzilla king of the monsters it's alive a gigantic beast dotting the earth crushing all before it in a cyclonic cavalcade of electrifying horror raging through the streets on a rampage of total
3: destruction
1: what was the first creature feature film that you guys
2: saw I was very into like the sci-fi channel, made for TV ones, I guess. Like, yes, from the from the creators of Sharknado, but I think their forgotten classics, Sharktopus, and other like combined creatures are really good. They're like 90 minutes in and out. I really enjoy a sci-fi production.
1: They have like a, a monster week on Animal Planet, and I used to love that as a kid. That's where they put their mermaid documentary that I thought was real for years on their Monster Week. It's called Mermaids: The Body Found. Go watch it. It will convince you that, that mermaids are real. I know mermaids are. I, yeah Mermaids are real. I can tell that I made these at an unhinged hour because one of the things I put in the discussion is: Do you think Godzilla and SpongeBob could have a collab?
3: Why would they have a collab? Because they're under the sea.
1: I suppose that has some kind of logic to
3: it. You got the link
0: right away because I was sitting here trying, racking my brain, (laughs) (laughs) trying to think why
3: you put that. But Spongebob is so much smaller than Godzilla.
1: He is, but like he does live under the sea.
3: I don't think Spongebob has it in him to evoke any sense of horror. Uh,
0: The Alaskan Bullworm and the hashling Slasher (laughs) episode were both fucking terrifying.
3: Yeah, the TV show can. Spongebob himself cannot.
1: I think they could make a great collab with Godzilla on an episode of SpongeBob using horror.
0: The Monsters Feminine is on Apple Podcasts, so please go leave us a five-star review and write us a little message. And if you do engage with our content, you might just get a shout-out in our next episode as our Witch of the Week. This episode, our Witch of the Week is Abby from the UK, who left us a five-star review and said, Feminism, film critique, and horror movies. What a combo. I love this podcast. Super funny and interesting. Keep up
2: the good work, ladies. Thank you,
3: that is so I think you're super funny
2: and interesting.
3: Have a great March. It's March, which is the month of mothers. No, that's May. Nope. (laughs) There's nothing special happening, but you know what's special?
0: You. (laughs) Friendly reminder that we are also on Patreon. For one pound a month, you gain access to our Discord. For three pounds a month, you get to hear cut discussions from our main episodes. And for five pounds a month, you get all that Plus, a bonus episode. Please support us. Any contribution helps.
2: I need historical context. Because I watched it and I was like, mm, I bet this is about what I think it's about, but I'm not going
3: to look it up.
2: They, but they say exactly what it's about. <laughs> That's why I'm pretty sure I'm correct about my assumptions.
3: The most famous allegory in film has <laughs> got to
2: be this. I've been very perceptive this time.
3: Do you want to hazard a guess as to what? <laughs> as to what yeah, the
2: what is this film about to you? So monsters, right? It's like it's like war, much like Jaws was about was about war, <laughs> as we've discussed. What I failed to look up was the reception for this. Like, like did people? By that metaphor, and then also like once it made its way over to America, like why do we love Godzilla? That's what doesn't make sense to me. And I know you watched a dub, I watched a sub, and I don't know how... I've heard things that like it's translated weird or like stuff was taken out of it and yeah there's an American cut and a Japanese cut, so I know that that exists but I did not uh do any further research on it. But I think it's safe to say it's about World War II. Maybe I was like, there's got to be many layers to this that I'm not seeing because they out and out tell you what it's about. I had a passing thought where I was like, "Mm, should I look up an explainer video? And then I didn't. So that's why I'm here today. I think there's quite a lot on the um,
0: American remakes of Godzilla and like how they really whitewashed it and sanitized it.
1: Yeah, they just did Godzilla versus Kong. But I think which one was the good guy in that? I think it was Godzilla who was, like, protecting them from Kong. Well, in that one, it kind of, like, does work in a way. Because, like, the reason why in that movie is to increase, like, the American military budget. Unless I am over-interpreting things. There's, like, a lab that is basically producing... Godzilla and Kong to have like these negative emotions so that they can justify bulking up the military presence to defeat like all these monsters that keep popping up?
3: Well the problem is is that like well the original that we watched obviously it had a lot of poignant commentary about war and the trauma of war. When Hollywood gets its hands on something like that and when it built its own monster genre it was all really just as spectacle and like unfortunately though like we still have the wartime connotation with it and just like the very nature of the film as a big monster attacking a city obviously the military themes at its core as it has developed on like the technology to do with filmmaking there is quite a lot with military technology and also things like marvel which like are funded
0: by the pentagon
2: yeah
3: hollywood are in bed with the
2: military uh the american adoption came out the year after the original correct
0: I don't think they did a remake. They did their own version where they recut. I think it was deliberately too soon to, like, interrupt the message because they casted a white actor at the center of their adaptation, Raymond Burr, and they lost 20 minutes of the original. The scenes that they cut were, like... You know that scene in this film where the commuters are on the train and they're like, oh, it's just after the bombing, like this is too soon, like to have to deal with another crisis. And they explicitly link Godzilla to like hydrogen bomb testing and all that. So they cut out that dialogue. And they also, I think, cut out the end where the doctor is like, if you don't stop nuclear testing, like there's going to be another Godzilla. And instead it ends on a more positive note.
2: I think that's why I was a bit confused in my watch because I was like, it seems so clear because I I must have watched the cut that has those scenes in it because I've seen those scenes. Um, And I was like, what are people talking about? Like, this seems very clear in its messaging. And that's why I think I was confused. I'm like, there must be more to this because I think had I watched the cut version, I would and had those things missing, it wouldn't have been so clear. So I'm like, why does everybody talk about this movie? Like, it's not hitting you over the head.
1: I think the reason why remakes don't necessarily land is because, I mean this in the best way possible, but I feel like the big movies in America are all basically remakes, but the original context of when the comic book or when the original movie was made in whatever country they adapted it from, it just never fits because it has more grounding. There's that terrible Hollywood adaptation of like, secret in their eyes i think and the original one is i think an argentine film i know it was nominated i'm not sure if it won but it was nominated for best foreign language film at the oscars and they were like oh my gosh why didn't the remake that was like script by script the exact same thing do as well but i just feel like it loses like the life of it because you can remake something and throw 50 million dollars behind it but the original context is when, of when it was made and all the political or cultural things surrounding the film are what make it so good.
2: There are also a lot of American adaptions of like horror films, like Asian horror films in particular, like we've got The Ring, The Grudge, Dark Water, like there's so many American adaptions that everyone says don't land.
3: In regards to Godzilla, I was surprised how soon after the bombings they made this film. It was nine years after, the United States dropped two nuclear bombs over Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945. And then there was a hydrogen bomb test in the US on March 1st, 1954, on Bikini Atoll in the Marshall Islands. And a Japanese fishing ship named the Lucky Dragon Number no. 5 had 23 men aboard who were all exposed to nuclear radiation. And then they integrated this into the opening scenes of the film when that fishing boat is getting attacked by Godzilla.
0: It seems, like, really fresh. Like, this is a film that was very much, like, culturally significant because it was really exploring, like, open wounds at that point.
2: Even, like, hearing the evacuation alarms, I'm like, that must have been triggering to people. So many scenes where they're talking about, like, migration after a disaster and it almost as if, like, this film could exist in a world where, like, they don't acknowledge the nuclear bombs have landed and it would still, like, have the metaphorical significance to it. It was so wild to me that they were naming it so often that like, I I don't know, I, I appreciated that we weren't like lost in metaphor, that it was like, yes, there is this and people really died.
0: There was an interesting article that was talking about, um, it was an NBC News article by Kimi Yam, and she is quoting William Tetsu, the author of Godzilla On My Mind, 50 Years of the King of Monsters. It's basically like he says that this film is like the unraveling of repression. He said, Japanese creative artists, filmmakers, novelists, and so forth couldn't really talk about the atomic bombings. It was a topic that could not be discussed, and Japanese people as well were very reticent about discussing this tragedy because it was so horrible and because they felt a sense of guilt and shame about events. But when the Japanese had their independence, back and the filmmakers were thinking about giant monsters. People began to think about the connection between monstrosity and atomic bombing. This article kind of goes on to say that this would have been a cathartic watch because it's like finally seeing a tragedy represented and very much positing it as it, well obviously it was a tragedy, but like really exploring that and like giving it that emotional charge. Because like the scenes with like the town burning down and like the children affected by radiation in the hospital, they didn't really hold back. So it's like seeing it like represented cinematically for the first time I bet would have been like a really emotional experience.
2: I thought the the scientist character, like the wanting to study Godzilla really badly was super interesting. I was like, I'm surprised we're even having this moral dilemma right now about like technology, if it can be used for the greater good. I'm like, yeah, maybe someday, but like right now there's an imminent threat. I was even surprised that that character existed and that the debate was happening like live in front of everybody. Cause again, it felt so fresh from <laughs> You know, we're not even 10 years out.
0: Where does that stand morally then? If Godzilla is symbolizing like either the effects of nuclear warfare.
3: I think nuclear
2: technology, like he's saying we could use it for something. So you think he's on the side of like, there's obviously a gray area here, but he's more on the side of like
3: immoral. Yeah, I don't think he
2: had any intention of like using Godzilla as a weapon, but I think he thought there was something to be gained from studying it, which is an argument that like people weren't really making about the atomic bomb or about nuclear technology until like, I guess a bit later, I'm no scientist, I don't know at what point that those debates started happening. But like, I guess I'm imagining that news works very quickly now. So like people are having the debate the day it happens or the day that an event occurs. And I think that like, it gave me something to chew on a little bit rather than like, this is good, this is bad. I thought he was like a necessary character, I guess, and that people could disagree with him.
3: We have that man who basically states the name of Godzilla. And Seems to suggest that it is this sort of like folklorish type creature or legend that people already know about. So you were saying like Godzilla as either a metaphor for the effects of nuclear war or as a metaphor for like a weapon of mass destruction itself. Within the context of it being a science fiction horror blend, Godzilla having like a natural source, but then obviously being exploited by people and potentially by scientists later on as like a means for technology and weaponry. I think it makes it quite clear that you can look at science within the context of making nuclear weapons and then you can compare that to the scientist who just wants to study oxygen or whatever. I think they're presented as essentially the same thing. You can't chase progress beyond like the realms of what we consider natural. It all gets a bit semantic but you can't like chase progress because it's always going to maybe it's like a commentary on like human beings is innately corrupt or like amoral because he was basically like I can't have this information in my head they'll caress me and I'll use it against whoever he acted like he had no control
2: I guess he thought they'd torture it out of him but like that's that's a plot in a lot of creature features is that like there's a creature and like Maybe it's not so bad. Like there's always some guy who's like, don't kill it. Maybe there's something we can learn. Like, I think that has followed in many creature features that came after Godzilla.
1: But do you think maybe the science in this movie is also commenting on how most of the things that we know in modern medicine came from very corrupt experiments. And a lot of those experiments were run in Nazi Germany or on black people during this time stretch.
2: That would be amazing if they did think of that, but I'm not sure that
1: they did. The way that science is talked about or seen in this movie is still from like the lens of people will do anything to get information. And they don't really care who they have to hurt or how many people have to die as long as they can still use this information.
0: Neither one of them seemed like the typical cold scientists that we're used to seeing in films. The father professor was like more about like, oh, it's a shame to like... He was more about like the sanctity of life almost. Like, oh, I don't want to kill it. Almost like a PETA perspective on the situation. It was giving
1: Jurassic Park. I'm like,
2: you want to study it?
1: But I think maybe like... Sometimes people make like scientists or like the villain in movies or just people in general so like black and white that it makes it comical because in reality no one is like so obviously good or so obviously bad.
0: Also in the NBC News article by Kimi Yam, she quotes Kazuo Watanabe, head of the Japan society, at least at the time this article was written, who apparently says that although Godzilla as a character hasn't retained the symbolism for nuclear warfare in America's public collective's mind, the monster has evolved to represent Japanese culture as a whole, not dissimilar to Hello Kitty or Pikachu. It's basically like emptied, not emptied, cause obviously you can still go back and watch the original, but like they've really diluted what it was supposed to be and just made it like, Japan synonymous like oh you think of Japan you think of Godzilla instead of like actually thinking about no, no no this is about what America did to Japan at a very specific moment. And then the 1998 Godzilla film. Apparently the creature was created from an atomic H-bomb which was a test by the French rather than the Americans. Godzilla is an interesting case study in like how making something a cultural icon can simultaneously really like sanitize or dilute its original core messaging like
2: it's like an empty signifier basically and this who do they say is testing the hydrogen bombs is it japanese people testing hydrogen bombs is it americans testing hydrogen bombs that is what i was unclear on and makes a big difference to me because i think that if it was Let's say it was the Japanese government testing hydrogen bombs for themselves to like see if they can recreate the technology or what have you. If I'm reading that right in the original, then I think that little nugget of being able to blame the Japanese for their own monster is what has followed in like the subsequent Godzilla films. Because when I think of it, like it's always like, oh my gosh, look at Japan and their advanced technology and how they played themselves. That is how a lot of the other movies go of like, there was a there was a nuclear waste spill or there was a accident in the lab or whatever. And it's always a Japanese scientist or a Japanese lab. And then they don't talk about where the technology comes from. And now I'm like, I mean, it doesn't follow exactly with, what do they call that? When Asian countries are showed in a way that's like super advanced and scary because they have so much, there's a word for that. Oh, techno-orientalism. Like, just because there are no, like, robots or, like, anything that we associate with technology in the Godzilla movies, like, creature features are always, like, man v. monster, and it's very primal. There is, like, this very core technology aspect to it that I think has been, like, warped, like you're saying, Louisa, and the, it uh, is a part of the sanitizing and the whitewashing. Like, yes, it's been sanitized, but it's the blame has been also been redirected.
0: I like think the original, though, they were probably alluding to the U.S. carrying out the test because of that hydrogen bomb that was dropped in the March 1944. But you're right in that I don't think they say, at least not in the subtitle I was listening to, or reading, rather. They kind of speak about it generically. But also, maybe that's just because it had just fucking happened and this film was fresh. So maybe they were like, yeah, we know who did it. <laughs> like, you don't need to say, saying? <laughs> but, um, like, they didn't need to be coy about it. Uh, they were just like, why would we say it? But I do think, like... There is definitely this like weird blame game with like how they go about tackling the monster, like with more bombs and more weaponry, and it's like, are you making it worse? And that kind of moral dilemma does have a little bit of like a self blame that is probably latched onto in latter films. Yeah, I think that's interesting.
1: I feel like this movie is like very well received in what it was made, but I don't necessarily feel like. Hmm, I feel like maybe the reason why they were able to remake this movie so much is because. To distance from the original. Yeah, with so much distance from the original and I mean this in not like a weird way, but like there is a lot of thoughts about how Japan handled World War Two in regards to how they treated the people that they had colonized more specifically South Korea, and how they themselves do not take blame for comfort women. Maybe the sympathetic gaze that this movie requires to really understand the, the depth of what it's saying isn't always there, because there is a lot of negative connotations to what Japan did, as it should be in World War II, because they did some horrific things. So I think that distance, and also the way that you're taught World War II growing up, Where there's these definitive good guys and these definitive bad guys. It makes it harder for people to watch this movie and think of what it's addressing and how significant the atomic bomb droppings were in Japan. Because people don't think of it that way. Because I don't think they understand that multiple things can be true. You can think that the Axis powers were in the wrong in World War II or da-da-da and still believe that the nuclear bombs didn't have to take place. But I just don't think it's necessarily always talked about that way in history and that makes the movie seem more complex than it actually is. I wouldn't be surprised if Japan also had a hand
3: in distancing Godzilla from It being a wartime allegory because they present this like pop culture that has a global appeal. I
1: don't remember what else we saw. Was it? I think it was Jaws, what we were talking about. Yeah, he also has a Hiroshima reference. Like, you don't see it in the films nowadays, but like, when we go back and watch these, it just kind of makes me see like the propaganda that you don't necessarily pick up on, but like, that'll just like be in the back of your mind randomly. And you'll think of it 15 years later and be like, oh.
0: But also, like all these movies which do have vague warfare references or like vague warfare reasons behind them, such as Godzilla, such as Kong. I just feel like it's also a way of like normalizing it. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast, and on Twitter at The Monfem Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod. Broom's up, which is out.